welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, I have a wonderful show for you today, um, a story. I love these kinds of stories and these kinds of shows because um, it is so personal and it's so different from the news that we get bombarded with and, and um, which we're all kind of uh, overwhelmed with, I guess, these days. Um, this is a story of a woman, my guest, Elizabeth Rodicky. It's called um, Chasing Portraits. That's the name of, well, her book technically is called Chasing Portraits, A Great-Granddaughter's Quest for Her Lost Art Legacy. And the film um, that has been made as a companion piece is called Chasing Portraits. So that's what I'm going to call it today because that's what we're going to be talking about. That's what she's going to be talking about, and that's her story. And um, I guess I will, you know, I, I just want to remind my listeners, uh, for those of you who have been listening for a very long time, you may remember, um, I think I replayed it too at least once, um, a, a while ago I had on um, two lawyers who were related to the movie, who were related to the um, protagonist, the woman, um, Maria Altman, who um, the story, the woman in gold, the movie, the woman in gold was made about. And that was a woman who, um, whose family uh, owned art in Germany that was stolen essentially by the Nazis. And the story was about how she got it back. So um, maybe after, after you hear today's show, you might be interested in going back and finding that in my... Um, uh, in the list of um, of other previous shows, and you might want to hear that as well. But today we have a slightly different uh, kind of story in the sense that, yes, this is about lost art, um, but it's not about a lawsuit. It's about a very, it's a very personal, well, they were both personal, but this is about a granddaughter's quest for to find the art of her great-grandfather, um, that was lost during World War II. The say that part of it is the same, and um, and who has while she was writing the book about this, who had the forethought. I must compliment you, Elizabeth, <laughs> to have had the forethought to um, have also made a film about your quest uh, to find this lost art. So, welcome to the show. First of all, thank you, and. Um, uh, I, why don't we just start kind of at the beginning of now? I, now your grandfather. I was I was kind of looking into this, and your grandfather, Moshe Renicki, who pronounced in Polish, it's pronounced a little differently. You were telling me, um, right. He was he lived from 1881 to 1943. So I take it you weren't necessarily alive when he died, or you were very little. No. Uh, no, not even alive. So let me give you a, a little bit of the story. So my great-grandfather, Moshe Donetsky, was an artist in Warsaw in the 1920s and 30s, or as we sometimes say, the interwar year period. And he was a prolific artist, and he painted scenes of the Jewish community of everyday life, people in the park, men playing chess, women doing laundry, children playing, um, and scenes inside the synagogue. And he, in the early days of the Second World War, became concerned about protecting his body of work. And so he took his collection, which we believe to be somewhere around 800 paintings, sketches, and sculptures, and divided them up into bundles and hid them in and around the city of Warsaw. And then wow. the scope of the Second World War really expanded, and eventually he willingly went into the Warsaw Ghetto. And my Grandpa George and my dad and my dad's mother uh, decided that they would uh, get false papers. And so they lived as Roman Catholics inside the city of Warsaw, but not inside the ghetto. And huh. my... 
Yeah, so my great-grandfather was eventually deported to Majdanek, where he was murdered by the Nazis. And then wait, wait, wait. After he the, was deported. I'm yeah. sorry. Wait, wait a minute, Elizabeth. He was deported yeah. to where? Majdanek. to where? Majdanek, which is a Nazi concentration camp, um, not as well known as Auschwitz or Bergen-Belsen or Dachau. Um, but Majdanek is right outside the city of Lublin. And uh, it was the first camp, actually, that was liberated by the Russians at the end of the war. And, um, yeah, that's, that's our understanding of where he was deported and murdered. And he was murdered. When you say murdered, do you mean by the Nazis as part of the concentration camp or some other Right. Situation? So we don't, know, we don't know precisely what form of death, you know, he experienced. Um, I, I assume... We know that when he arrived at Majdanek that he sent a postcard to the family telling them that he had arrived and was fine. And as we know from Nazi Holocaust history that often when Jews were arrived, they were told to send postcards and then they were gassed. Um, I assume that that mm. was his fate. I don't know precisely what happened to him. Mm. 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 Okay, how sad. Yes. Yeah. So, yes, very sad. Um, and so uh, after the war, my, my dad and his parents and my great-grandmother all survived the war. And they decided to go looking for the bundles of paintings that they had hidden in the early days of the war. And they found one bundle hidden in the Praga district, which is a part of the city of Warsaw that was relatively undamaged during the war, and they saved those paintings. And those paintings came to the United States with my dad and his parents when they came in 1949. And I was born in 1969, so, um, you know, that's a time period before, before I was born. Um, but I grew up with those paintings in my, my grandparents' home and in my parents' home, and I knew that my great-grandfather had been an artist, and I, I came to know those paintings in everyday life, you know, grabbing my backpack and going to school or getting ready for dinner or having family over for Thanksgiving or Passover. They were just there and part of my life, but it wasn't something that I, I thought a lot about, um, and, and that changed and shifted over, over the years. Um, well, now, did your did, wait? Did your great grandfather um, tell anyone where he had hidden these? So it's my understanding that my great grandfather, when he bundled the paintings up and hid them, that he created a list um, which he gave to his wife and son and daughter, telling them where the paintings were hidden. And that after the war, when his widow was able to go looking for the paintings, she she had that list to go searching. Um, Warsaw was, I think, close to 90% destroyed. And so, you know, the family just assumed everything had been destroyed. So that, uh, they, that they found this one bundle in Praga, uh, the Praga district of Warsaw was really rather astonishing and a miracle. And they assumed that the other pieces had, um, you know, burned or been destroyed or just been, been devastated by the war. Um, and what happened was that we actually now know more pieces survived. And so for about the last 10 years, I've been making a documentary film and I wrote a book about my discovery of more paintings and my search for my great-grandfather's lost art legacy and my, and my efforts to uh, rescue his story from, um, you know, being unknown to try to, to share it a bit more with the world. That's really amazing. Thank um, you. <laughs> Uh, when, when your great-grandfather was alive, um, did he, um, and before he was sent to a concentration camp, did he, how famous was he then? Like, how did, was he, uh, were his paintings selling for a relatively high price, or was he just, was he well-known, uh, or was he kind of doing this, he was very prolific, apparently, and was he just doing this in obscurity, or, or, you know, how much did people know of him as an artist then? 
Right. I always love that question because those are the same questions I had when I started on this journey. And what I've discovered is that while he was not famous, he was definitely known. Um, He was exhibited in um, different galleries in Warsaw in, in the 1920s and 1930s. We actually now have discovered catalog lists that uh, name the titles of his paintings and sometimes the prices that were being asked. And I'm, I'm sorry, I don't remember what those prices are. Even if I did, they um, were in, in Polish Zwati, which of course was from the 1920s and 30s. So I, I would have to convert it for you and I just don't know those prices. But they were not big prices. Um, but he did sell some pieces and um, he was really fortunate in, in his ability to go out in the world and paint and, and to show. Um, his wife took care of an art supply store that you know, took care of the family financially um, and gave him the ability to, to go do that. He was also involved in organizations that helped to promote Jewish artists in Warsaw. Um, and mm. we know that he was included in newspaper articles both in Warsaw Yiddish dailies uh, during the interwar year period, but also in, in papers that were being published in Germany. Um, I have one example of a Yiddish paper that was published in Germany um, in the interwar year period. So it's, it's pretty amazing to have discovered all that, not only that he did those things, but that, the, that these stories and newspapers actually survived. Now, do you think that the Germans knew um, that they might have been looking for some of these bundles of paintings? If, like if you say that he was uh, written about in Germany, I mean, even if it was a Yiddish paper still, do you think that, yeah. that they were searching for that? Yeah, you know, I think sort of the underlying portion of your question is, of course, that the Nazis um, are known to have made lists of art and artists who they went after in the early days of the war. Um, so, of course, the, the Gustav Klimt paintings that, that Maria Altman family had um, is perhaps the most famous of, of those sorts of stories. Um, you know, it's hard for me to know. I don't have evidence one way or the other about that. My guess is that, um, you know, that they were not after his art. Um, that if anything, they just were after him for being Jewish. Uh, but, but being an artist um, or being a degenerate artist, those are not things that I've run across in, in any um, documentation anywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, he did... Um, paintings all, I, also uh, from when he was inside the concentration camp, or was, were they able to get out? Um, if he painted inside either the Warsaw Ghetto or at Majdanek, we don't know about that. So we do have paintings that were done in the super early days of the Second World War. And in fact, my family donated a painting um, called Refugees that is on permanent display at the Yad Vashem Museum in Israel uh, to mm. show what it was like to be a refugee. The painting has, I think, about six characters in it. There's a, an elderly woman, um, a, a child in a wheelchair, a man carrying a child. So it really shows what it means to be a refugee, to be fleeing from violence, to not have a place to live, to be trying to cart the few possessions that you have with you, um, and, and to show you know, what, what that impact had on, on his community and the people that he cared about. Well, this is so interesting, and, and I forgot to mention um, amongst Elizabeth's credentials that she is also a historian, not just an author and a filmmaker, but um, also a historian, so she brings a whole different perspective to this. Um, when we come well, back... I would actually... I would, I'm going to edit you a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm not sure, actually... Sure. My, my educational background is I have a master's degree in rhetoric and speech communication. Um, and the part of uh-huh. my story of historian that I like to emphasize is that a lot of people familiar with these types of stories about Holocaust-era looted art um, are stories of fights for the return of the art and being a claimant. Uh-huh. And I have... Right. Um, 
given various factors, um, it's been incredibly difficult for, for me to be a claimant. Um, there's just not enough evidence and proof. Um, and the fact that my great-grandfather was actually the artist means that he, that we know that he sold pieces and he might have given away pieces or bartered pieces for various um, friends mm. and, and different acquaintances. And so... Um, I decided that um, rather than seeking legal justice, I could seek historical justice. And so when I say I'm a historian, um, my effort is to uh, try to recover his, his, uh, his legacy and to share that history with people and to let them know that story. Yes, well, it's such an important story, and especially because of because his paintings were all about what the people were doing and were like, and in so many different aspects, the religious aspect. I, I was looking up some some of his paintings uh, in the synagogue and so on, as well as what you were saying, you know, kids at play, the normal kinds of things. It's just a whole. It is a history of the times and and the, a documentation of the Jewish people at, during those times. So it, it is so important. He was. He was really kind of an ethnographer of sorts. Um, and I think that, you know, when you look at photographs like of Roman Vishnak or other people who were photographing um, the Polish-Jewish community or Eastern Europe in that era, um, you know, you're seeing very specific people because photographs, of course, document specific people. But my great-grandfather's paintings are really interesting in that they're often scenes of groups of people, um, and the faces are not necessarily very distinguished. And I don't know if that's because he didn't particularly like to paint faces or if he just wanted people to have a sense of the community, that it really could be anyone. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that the paintings are profound in that they actually document that period and I I used to think when I was a kid that his paintings yes that's the music we will we will leave leave everyone on a cliffhanger and um and and continue where we left off um one of the things I want to talk about when we come back is um is your story and how you all of a sudden one day or maybe it was just one day but how you decided that you were going to pursue this so you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch my guest is is Elizabeth Reinecke, and we're talking about chasing portraits, notably the portraits of her uh, great-grandfather. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Don't write yourself off. 
And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guest, Elizabeth Reinecke. We're calling today's show Chasing Portraits because that's exactly what she did. In fact, um, her book is called Chasing Portraits, A Great-Granddaughter's Quest for Her Lost Art Legacy. Um, And it's all about her great-grandfather, as she's been talking about, who was an artist in Warsaw, Poland. Um, and the film that is, there's going to be, I want to make sure I, I tell everyone this, if you're going to be in the Southern California area, um, it, coming up, uh, there is going to be a showing at the Skirball Center on Monday, February 11th, a screening of her film, uh, for which she was the writer, producer, director, the film called Chasing Portraits, which is a, a companion piece to the book. Um, so, just want to mention that uh, it's it's you're, we're wetting your appetite both to buy the book and to go see the film. <laughs> what I'm, as, a, as a psychiatrist, what I'm really interested in, in addition, all of this was interesting, but I like I always like to get to um, you know how. I mean, yes, this was wonderful. You had this art legacy. Your grandfather, you know, did these amazing paintings and so on, but. And and you saw them every day when you were growing up, and so obviously that had a conscious and unconscious influence on you. But what I would love to hear about is how you went from someone who as a child might have either taken the paintings for granted or liked them but didn't really think much about them to someone who devoted the last years um, of your life so far to chasing these portraits and, and look, trying to find um, the lost art legacy. So tell us about that, who you were, you know, when you, when, yeah. you were, when, you were, when you were in elementary school, we can look at it like this, and people asked you what you wanted to be when you grow up, what did you tell them? Yeah, a ballerina. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in uh-huh. fact, I was I was in the San Francisco Nutcracker when I was a kid. Um, I, yeah, yeah I, I played a soldier that got thrown in the air by a mouse. So now you know something unique and quirky about me. Um, yeah, <laughs> yes, that's it's, great. It's an in, it's been an interesting journey. It certainly was not something when I was a kid that I I thought I would do anything about. Um, I went to college. I grew up in the Bay Area. I went to college in the East Coast, and I graduated in '91 in in the uh, spring of '91. And in February of 1992, so just a few months after I had graduated, my grandpa George died, and I flew home to California to help my dad and my mom pack up his house. Um, primarily because we were concerned about the artwork um, being left alone on the property and, uh, and we mm-hmm. wanted to secure it. And mm-hmm. in that process, um, my dad took some, some heavy stuff out to my grandfather's car to put in the trunk of his car. And when he did so, he found a bundle of papers and he brought the papers into the house and he handed them to me and I started flipping through them. And um, what I spotted was this paragraph, and I, I just want to read this short paragraph because um, it really was a turning point for me um, to discover my, that my great, sorry, that my grandpa George had written about the war years and his reflections about it. So this is the paragraph. Sure. Some say it will never happen again. Well, it's too easy. It did happen. They killed openly without fear. Where and how did they have that much hatred toward us? It could happen again. We cannot and will not forget. We will carry it like the Bible forever. There are hundreds of books on the subject. Nevertheless, I am a Jew and I write. I'll do it till the end of my days, if only for my granddaughter Elizabeth to know the truth and not to be afraid of it. Wow. I just got yeah. the chills. That's right. amazing. So for me, there was sort of this, oh my gosh, now what? Um, and I grew up in the 80s, um, and I, you know, I read Anne Frank, but there were certainly not Holocaust education classes, um, and we certainly weren't really discussing the war, the Second World War in school. Um, and so my understanding 
of the war had come through um, various experiences with my family and, and some books that I had read. My family did not talk about the war very much. Um, my dad was about three when the war started, so he didn't remember a lot, plus he just didn't like to talk about it. Um, and so when my grandpa George died, I suddenly realized the survivors are dying and I can't bear witness because I wasn't there. Um, and how, how does a history that is not even my own exactly, how do I navigate that? Um, and so it became several, many years of my trying to figure it out. So I, I was living in Washington, D.C., and the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum opened up, which helped me to try to understand where my family's story fit within the larger story of, of the Holocaust. Um, and then I went to graduate school at UC Davis and got my master's in rhetoric and speech communication. And I wrote my master's thesis primarily about Art Spiegelman's mouse books and uh, the voice of children of Holocaust survivors. I was really interested in trying to understand how, you know, a whole generation definitely impacted by this war um, could talk about it and write about it even though they weren't there. And um, so, yeah, so it was a lot of, a lot of uh, I don't know that I went to a lot of therapy, but it was definitely um, some, some trying to navigate um, a, a complicated emotional psychological territory um, and reading some really difficult things to try to figure that out. So did you feel, it would seem to me, that um, your grandfather's letter was almost, um, not that he knew necessarily that you were going to be seeing that, but uh, that it was a call to you, in a sense, giving you a mission or a purpose for your life that, that in fact, you should help towards this never forgetting. Absolutely. I mean, I th- I feel like he was wise, much wiser than me, um, and that he knew I would someday come looking for answers. I mean, he had worked so hard to preserve his father's paintings, um, and he wrote this memoir, and then actually my dad and I discovered more documents that helped to really explain my family's story. Um, There was correspondence that happened after the war uh, with cousins in the United States trying to... um, um, help the family and, and help to bring them to the U.S. And so all of these pieces really began to fall into place, and I, I felt like my Grandpa George had saved them to try to, you know, he, he understood their importance, and he hoped that someday I would. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's both an, a difficult emotional thing to navigate um, and an incredible responsibility um, that I'm both, you know, honored to carry forward um, and, and sometimes a bit overwhelmed by because it, and it's a lot. It's a lot of history to navigate. Yes, absolutely. So what happened to his memoir? Did you try to get that published? Yeah, so we um, did some really light editing on it just to make it a little more readable. Um, It's, you know, when you think of a book, you think it has a beginning, middle, and end, and his was more like a... Um, a rambling collection of vignettes, uh, which were, were um, primary source materials that for me were invaluable, but, you know, we weren't so sure how other people would feel about reading it. But we did self-publish it, and it is available for purchase if, if somebody is, is eager to read it. Um, and uh, and then what I did was when I started writing my book, I took his stories and I used his stories to uh, flesh out my book. Um, so I, I couldn't incorporate all of his, his memoir in my book, but I used it to, um, to tell what I could about my family uh, in the, the, their life before the war and, and the early days of the war that he wrote about. Um, and uh, yeah, so that my book is sort of divided with um, historical information and then a more contemporary story. And the film is really more of a, uh, a contemporary story about not only my search for the art, but my relationship with my father and um, what it means to be a survivor and the daughter of a survivor navigating this history together. Mm. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. 
Well, before we get into that, so tell us about the search, the actual search. Yeah, well, it's been um, it's been interesting. So we built a website in the late '90s um, in an effort to share the art with other people, and people can see the art at chasingportraits.org. Um, and when we built the website, you know, it was still kind of the early days of the internet, and people started to reach out to us and. Um, Yad Vashem was one of the first museums to reach out to us and, and ask us to gift this painting that they now have in their collection. Um, but oh. we also got calls from um, private collectors. So I actually connected with a man whose family was Polish, um, and he lives in Canada, and his parents had uh, purchased a bundle of my great-grandfather's paintings after the war. And so... Oh, wow. uh, yeah, so I actually went to Canada to meet him and to film my meeting with him and to see the art in person. Um, and then there have been serendipitous connections. Um, somebody happened to discover uh, information in a library in Toronto um, that contained original handwritten letters and original photographs of my great-grandfather's paintings, some of which I had never seen before. Um, sure. And other people have stepped forward. So it's it's been uh, an interesting process of, you know, I can't just go knocking on people's doors asking if they have my great-grandfather's paintings. Um, but the Internet has both made our project and my great-grandfather's story more visible, which means that if somebody does have my great-grandfather's painting in their home, um, they can they can Google the name and they can find me and they can contact me. And I do sometimes get emails saying, we have this painting and have had it in our family for years. Is this your great-grandfather's? And uh, sometimes huh. it is and uh, most often it isn't, but I always appreciate people that, that send me those emails because you just never know where I might find more information. So this man in Canada who um, had the bundle, how did he, where, how did he get this bundle? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because uh, in the movie, he, he has a brother, and uh, he tells one story, and his brother tells a slightly different version, which um, I don't want to give away too much because I want people to go see the movie and not have it spoiled. But base, the, the, the basic premise of the story is that his parents uh, were partisan fighters in Russia. So in other words, they were, they were Polish citizens, they were Jewish, and they fought in the woods in Russia um, against the, the Nazis. And after the Second World War, they came back into Poland, um, and this is where the, the two brothers' stories get a little different, uh, but they, their parents acquired um, a bundle of paintings. And then they lived in Poland for a while, and then Israel for a while, and then the U.S., and they eventually ended up in Canada. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, they, they have this bundle of paintings. It's, it's pretty phenomenal how... Um, you know, it's connected to my family's story, but then ends up with its own history. And um, that's, that's been pretty profound to, to meet people like him who have my great-grandfather's paintings. And there are other stories in the book and other stories in the film that um, aren't identical, but, but definitely have that sort of um, that sense of, uh, you know, the paintings... The paintings, while not people, are survivors themselves, and they have stories of their own. Mm. And if they could speak, they mm. would speak volumes. Um, but instead, we have to try to rescue their history. Well, I guess um, I was wondering, like, did... Well, did you... Uh, I guess the main question, so did you go to Poland to try to find these bundles or any of your yes. great-grandfather's paintings? Yes. And so, so my, my dad and I have the the largest known private collection, and the second largest known collection is at the Jewish Historical Institute in Warsaw. They have 52 of my great-grandfather's paintings. And um, uh-huh. so I, I visited Poland in uh, 2014. We filmed uh, footage there at the Jewish Historical Institute. Um, and there are also some paintings at the National Museum in Warsaw. They have two, and I filmed there as well, as well as with private collectors. So I've filmed um, in Poland, Israel, Canada, and the U.S. We also know that there's a private collector in France that has um, some of my great-grandfather's work, um, and that is an individual who is related to our family. Huh. 
so but did there you, are more out uh, there, and we're still looking. So, huh? So did you go through um, your grandfather's um, memoir and find clues, and maybe other things that you had in the family to find clues that then sent you to specific places in Poland? I wish. No, there, unfortunately, there weren't clues like that in his memoir. Um, you know, the Internet certainly opened up things uh, just because I, I could have a better sense of, um, you know, how to find people. Um, you know, in the old days, right, it was, it was a phone book or somebody that knew somebody that could help you. Um, and right. so um, I don't exactly remember how I originally got connected with the Jewish Historical Institute and learned that they had paintings. But... Um, I learned that pretty early on, and um, they were not always forthcoming, and it actually was difficult uh, to deal with them early on. But once I was there, they were fabulous to deal with. They let me see all of the paintings and film all of them and and spend the whole day there. So um, in the end, you know, I'm I'm really happy that I got to see the paintings, um, and and so that was very rewarding. Um, But, yeah, the clues... The clues are, are harder to come by. It's mostly a matter of, of sitting and waiting and hoping somebody, you know, exactly like this sort of this radio show, right, that somebody hears it and they think, oh, my gosh, you know, my aunt used to have something and I should go find out what that is because maybe it's a Reinecke painting. And um, those are the sorts of things that really open up opportunities for connections and, and learning of more of the lost pieces. Uh-huh. Um, I kind of have these visions of you um, going into old buildings and looking in crevices <laughs> so long for, for this kind of thing. Well, we'll talk more about this when we come back. Uh, my guest is Elizabeth Reinecke. Uh, her book is called Chasing Portraits, A Great-Granddaughter's Quest for Her Lost Art Legacy. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest is Elizabeth Elizabeth Reinecke. Her grandfather um, was Moisha Reinecke, uh, as they pronounced it in Poland. And um, she's telling us her story. Uh, again, it's uh, not just the book, but also now the companion piece, a uh, film called Chasing Portraits. And um, 
this is, you know, this is uh, just an amazing story. So now that, so you're still on this quest. As I was starting to say before the break, I kind of was picturing you in Poland um, going through all kinds of uh, old neighborhoods and, and um Garbage cans, not that one would wa- want to find one's great-grandfather's paintings in a garbage can, but, you know, everything, just looking in every little nook and cranny. Um, yeah. And, well, and I wish it was that easy. I mean, did, <laughs> go ahead. I actually did go, um, there's a scene in my movie, I went to a... Um, it's sort of an antiquities fair flea market um, where people sell yeah. all sorts of things. And one of the things that's there are, are paintings. And I definitely did look for his work there and did speak to a number of the vendors selling artwork, asking if they recognized his style and had they ever seen his paintings. And unfortunately, the answer was no. Um, but you never know where you're going to find these things. And I think part of it is um, less about my, you know, looking in people's um, garbage cans and more about my trying to put the word out. So I'm active on social media and I have a website and I love doing interviews like this that help to share the story with more people so that, um, you know, I'm trying to crowdsource the search for it. And so I need, I need the help of more people. And so um, programs like this help me to do that. So thank you for having me on and, and letting me do that. Well, you're welcome. Now, what do you want to do when you find um, when you find these paintings? And I'm sure, of course, a lot has to do with where you find them. Like if it's in a private collection or a museum or whatever. But what what, do you, what would you like to be able to do? Are you trying to make? I mean, you said you had the you and your father have the largest collection. And what is your ultimate goal? I mean, so like, let's say someone's hearing this. And they think, oh, I might have one of those paintings. Um, do you want to just go there and photograph it, film it, or or buy it, or what? What do you want to do? Um, well, my biggest goal is to see them in person um, because you know there's nothing quite like seeing a painting in person. It's it's so different than seeing a photograph or. Um, a recreation of it. And because it's my great-grandfather who actually painted it, I always feel this really visceral connection with him. I mean, his paintbrush touched that canvas. And so to me, it's it's a a DNA link almost. Um, And so it's very, very special to me. And I I want the people who have his art um, to know that I'm not a claimant. So I'm not going to come and I'm not going to fight for the return of the painting. But what I am going to do is invite you into the fold of the story and to say, okay, you have this painting. I'd like to know the history of how you got it if you can, you know, if you know that and can reconstruct that for me um, because it's fascinating to me how the different trajectories, you know, and paths of travel these paintings have taken um, and what role they've played in different people's lives um, and, and to then invite you to be part of the larger family of other people that have them. Uh, if people have the paintings, they don't like it, they don't think they can care for it, it's it's damaged and they know it needs help and they just don't have the resources to do it, um, I would be thrilled if they would gift it to me. Um, I'm not really excited about buying paintings, um, and the, besides which they're just not worth that much. Uh, they're more valuable to me as, um, as I said, as an extension of my great-grandfather. Um, so you know, I just I don't really want to have to be paying for them. Um, but, uh, you know, people could also certainly donate them to museums um, if, they, if they felt that, well, A, that the museum would want to take it. They don't always want to take them, uh, and, and B, that they could take care of them. Um, I'm done filming. Um, I, I'm not making a sequel, <laughs> so uh, I'm not sure that I would film footage, but I would certainly want to take stills. And what's fascinating to me about finding more pieces, and I've learned this over the years, is my great-grandfather often painted the same scene multiple times, or um, he painted a similar scene but in a slightly different style and a slightly different color palette. And so to me, what is fascinating about discovering more of the pieces is better understanding his body of work and trying to discern what his choices were. Like, why in this painting did he put this little girl, um, you know, standing in front of the, the piano and the other scene, he took her out. 
Um, and so it's, it's really interesting to see multiple pieces and, and to try to see his growth as an artist and to try to kind of guess at what his own thought process was. Uh-huh. Now, um, were you able to, um, from your family and then from this quest, able to put, uh, like a psychological profile, put pieces of, together of your great-grandfather's personality? You know, his, I mean, it, like it was interesting, you said that his wife uh, had ran a, an art supply store and then he was able to uh, make the painting. So that kind of, you know, that make, that's a very kind of curious thing that... Um, a curious kind of relationship, you know, and so it, it makes you, it just draws you in to want to know more about him. So have you been sort of putting these little kinds of uh, tidbits together to put him together as a little man? bit. Um, there, there's one project that I did and, and one anecdote I want to share. And the project that I did was with um, a, a contemporary artist um, named Paige Danzinger who lives in Minnesota. And uh, she painted my great-grandfather's paintings um, on, an, on an iPad. And what was really interesting is... I, um, the way it, re- it recorded as she was painting. And so I kind of felt like I got to watch my great-grandfather paint and see the painting come to life as opposed to, like, already mm. being there. And what was really interesting about that project is we focused on the paintings that featured women. And... Um, mm. It was fascinating to me that I think that of the works that we have, there's really a balance between um, men in the synagogue and, and women in their daily life and women working um, and, and children. And so it was really interesting for me to try to analyze a little bit more about who he was by what his subjects were. Um, and the other uh-huh. piece of information that I have about him that always sort of haunts me um, is that my great-grandfather willingly went into the Warsaw ghetto. I mean, Jews didn't really have a choice, but if you had false papers or other resources, you know, you could try to um, not be be sent into the ghetto. But he willingly went, yeah. and my Grandpa George tried to get him out, and he said, no, um, I'm going to stay here with my brothers and sisters, and if it's death, so be it. Um, and what's fascinating to me about that is that... Um, you know, he had a family, right? And so why he, he felt a closeness to the Jewish community, even though he wasn't particularly religious, he, he lived a more secular life, um, but he chose the Jewish community over his family. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, it's, you know, you, you could read all sorts of things into it, and it's hard to know exactly what he was thinking, but... Um, it's kind of this profound moment um, of hi- in history where he made a choice and that it led to his death, um, as it did for millions of others. Uh, so it's, and how, um, so how, let's see, how old, well, he, he, he died in 43, so let's see, 43, yeah. and so he was like 62 when he died? Right, yeah. So, so. hmm. And so um, your, your I mean, his children were certainly grown and and were married and and um, and uh, had their own families and their own lives. But um, to mm. make that choice is is really, you know, I just, like. I mean, because all I want to do is yell back into time, run, and you can't. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, to try to understand it is is interesting. But he clearly. Um, you know, I said he li- he lived a more secular life. We know this because, well, A, my, my Grandpa George wrote a little bit about it, but also in his paintings, um, the self-portraits that he did, he, he painted himself wearing a suit and coat and tie um, and and looking very um, very contemporary and very Western, um, whereas a lot of the, the men that he painted were clearly very religious, um, and, and he often yeah. painted religious scenes. And so it's really interesting that he kind of had a foot in both worlds, um, and I think he was torn. Like, he had grown up in a more religious home, but felt um, he lived a more secular life. The, the part of Warsaw that he lived in was um, was a, not necessarily a very Jewish uh, neighborhood or community. Um, and so, um, yeah, he made these choices, and, and it's hard to 
reconstruct and really understand who he was. But he, I, what I do know about him for sure is that he was passionate about painting, and he did a lot of it. Well, maybe part of it was that um, he wanted, he knew he would be able to um, record the history better of the Jewish people at that time if he was in the ghetto, in the ghetto. Yes, and my guess is that that is what he thought, and, you know, like many people, nobody thought that that the Nazis were going to murder the Jews. They just thought, well, this is war, and this will end, and we'll have to sort of wait it out, and it might not be very nice, but... Yeah, nobody thought there was going to be the systematic murder of of their people, and um, yeah, I think he probably thought that he he could endear himself to the Nazis by painting them or documenting his community. And of course, many many prisoners did do that, and we we have evidence of that, which is is profound and unique. Um, yeah, so I, it's hard to know. Well, this is a wonderful story, and I think it's really. Um, Great that you are that you are documenting all of this and that you've been going on and continue on this quest. We don't have very much time left, so I want to remind people the names of all these things. Um, again, my my guest is Elizabeth Reinecke. Her book is called "Chasing Portraits: A Great Granddaughter's Quest for Her Lost Art Legacy," and the film is called "Chasing Portraits." And there will be a screening of the film on February 11th at Skirball Cultural Center in Los Angeles. And, of course, the book is available pretty much everywhere, I would assume. And the um, website that you gave earlier was chasingportraits.org, chasingportraits.org. And I'm sure you have all kinds of um, additional information there. Well, Elizabeth, I wish you, um, I think this is, as I said, this is just fabulous. This is so important because as I was telling you off the air, you know, with my expertise, uh, I call myself the terrorist therapist. I try to help people um, keep calm and carry on in the face of terrorism. And there is this, not only this forgetting of the Holocaust as more and more people are dying, as you said, um, who were actually there and even who were children of the people who were actually there. Uh, and the same thing is happening with terrorism, that there's this kind of forgetting, thinking that uh, it'll never happen again with 9-11. So all of this is so important. And, of course, terrorism and 9-11 and so on, all, all, everything that's going on now is so much of what a copy of what happened in the Holocaust just, just brought to the modern day, a different way of, a different way of murdering people. So thank you so much again, and um, I wish you success in your continued journey, and um, and and I hope that I hope that some people who were listening to this uh, go to their attic or, or their living room wall and start to think: Is this um, a picture by your great grandfather? And contact you. So thank you so much again, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host. Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 